though we are reading Exodus on these Thursday mornings this term, and Exodus, of course, is a story. It has people in it. It has actions and places, developing and concluding events, directions, limits, and, of course, names. And Exodus, like all the Bible in this respect, is, you could say, a kind of heavenly map, a transcendent travel guide, an eternal law code, an ethereal building manual, a divine telephone book. And so we come this morning to what Professor Hayes rightly says is one of the most central texts in the whole of Scripture, but also, it turns out, one of the most offensive texts, the revelation of God's name. God said to Moses, I am who I am, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So there seem to be two parts to this name. We can begin with the first one, I am who I am. No problem there for the modern mind. That name is just fine. Being itself. All that is wide, open, embracing. Now there's a God that people can receive. The 18th century deists were very happy with this name. They even suggested that Moses got it first from the Egyptians. There was an inscription to the Egyptian goddess Isis recorded in Plutarch and Proclus and Antique Times that said of herself that she is, quote, all that is, was, and will be. So Moses, the deist, said, simply recognized the deepest truth of all ancient wisdom. God is the all. That's very good. It's the second part of God's name that the deists bristled at. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and of course, finally, the God of this cramped, vitriolic old man named Moses. How dare insisted just here and to just this man in this place, named Horeb, and for this people, named Israel, as opposed to the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Hittites. How dare insist that God, who is the all in all, should give a name and do a deed unknown to any other people and unexperienced by any other nation. As we know, the 18th century deists were notable for articulating what was, it became obvious, a rising hatred against the Jews at that time. And it was for just this reason. 
And it was also a rising hatred, as it turned out, against normal Christians who built upon Orthodox and evangelical Christians who embraced the Old Testament, the deists tended to call rabbinic, which is a dirty word in modernity to this day, bound to perceived arrogance. God for us? That's bigotry. So there is a deep hostility to divine electing particularity in our era. And it's bound up to the anti-Judaic and finally anti-Semitic past of modernity as a whole. You know the rhyme. How odd of God to choose the Jews. It was coined, as it turns out, by the British journalist it also turned out later he was a Soviet spy, William Muir, in the early 20th century. Odd of God to choose the Jews, but not choose the Chinese, or the Turks, or the Indians, or finally the Germans, or the Soviets. A reasonable religion, a natural religion, an acceptable liberal faith, the great 18th century uh, German critic Lessing wrote, such a faith will move from the narrow and self-centered concerns of the Jews, which he called primitively infantile, to the wider, Gentile-tolerating Christians. Adolescent faith, he called it. And finally, to a universal morality of love, adulthood at last. One big name for everyone. Yet there is Pascal, whose private prayer, as we know, sewn into the lining of his coat as it was discovered at his death, has become the great challenge to such a modern religion. You know it. Fire. God of Abraham. God of Isaac. God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and scholars. Certainty. Certainty. Heartfelt. Joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, unquote. Without the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living, as Jesus says, there is, Pascal insists, no light, no joy, no here, no now, no calling, no demands, no desires, no repentance, no mercy not without the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, Pascal was right, and the philosophers of modernity are very, very wrong. So see what God does in this text from Exodus that we heard today, beginning at the start of the chapter 3. God sees the affliction and oppression of his people. God hears their cry. God comes down to deliver them. God visits the Israelites. God brings them up. God stretches out his hand. God smites the Egyptian. God does wonders. God gives favor. God does this here at this time to this one and to that one and to this people and to that people. I am who I am, God says Moses. 
Yet this is what my name does. All this to this person, to that person. For God's name is about names. It's about our name. Because his name is word and work together. Those who argue on the basis of both Hebrew syntax and theological coherence for the, if you will, causative mode of the divine name's verbal form, that is, those who argue that the creative character of God's name is bound up in this name, Yahweh, I think are surely right. I am who I am means I do what I do. I cause to be what will be. God speaks, and it is just this. He acts because he has a name and he names. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God called the light day. He didn't call it night. He called it day. And so it is. And so you are. And so you are who you are. The whole world of particulars is his. And God orders them particularly, not just at the beginning of Genesis, but now Israel, now Canaan, now Egypt, now. God is the God of Joseph, suffering, successful, forgotten. He is his God. God is the God of Pharaoh, the forgetter of Joseph, cruel, tyrannical, grieving, as it will happen, feckless, blotted out. He is his God, too, however unacknowledged. God is the God of Shipra and Puah, as we heard a couple weeks ago, midwives uh, to the Hebrews, courageous, common, commemorated. He is their God. He is the God of Moses, the God of Aaron, the God of Miriam, of Zipporah, of Gershom, the God of Jethro, the God of the family of Levi, driving their times forward through generations, songs, failures, revivals. He is their God. He is the God of the Nile, the God of the Red Sea, the God of the deserts and of the mountains, the God of Sinai and Paran, the God of the manna, the God of the quails, the God of the law, the God of Torah, the God of thou shalt and the God of thou shalt not, the God of Sabbath, the God of festival, of judgment and promise. He is all their God. Take it away and it all disappears. Now, our modern society, of course, is filled with particulars, a plethora of things, but none of them have any organizing meaning. They have instead settled into a buzz, a haze, a kind of gas-like distant dying stars. Things without a God, without a God who names them. But this God, the God of names, his name and our names, the God of stars whom he names one by one, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and Moses. He is Rahab's God, she who, having given away her body to strangers, gave her heart to Israel. He is Ahab's God, whose very heart rebelled against him, yet just there encountered the truth. He is Elizabeth's God, who gave away her son to prison and to death. He is Andrew's God, who gave away his nets to follow Yeshua. But he is also the God of popes and martyrs, of widows and peasants, of slaves, of tyrants, of soldiers, and of children. He is 
your God. Why else would we be here? We are here because God has given us a name. We have a name because God has a name. And his name is the name that is spoken and thus creates, such that I am becomes you are. Don't let anybody in this culture of clouded concoctions tell you that there are no particularities with a purpose. Not philosophers, scholars, politicians, or wacky bishops. Go ahead, pray for the empty parking space by all means, despite the scoffers. God has named it before you even turn your engine on. Now, of course, there are better names to put on your lips than that, but they will be names nonetheless, whether the name of your neighbor or of the holy servant down the street or of some secret joy or sin that you bring to them. Life is a name, a person, and a place. And there's nothing sentimental or individualistically pietistic about saying that anyway. It is the basis for all social justice, the basis for the transformation of persons, and the renewal of communities. That's another story, but it's a fact. God knows the name of every star in the heavens, of every bird in the mountains, of every fetus in the womb, of every tear from your eye, of every hair on your head, of every cell in your body, of every life and death in his book. Our concern for this world and for one another and for ourselves, our prayers and our acts on their behalf is but a pale reflection of the miraculous naming of God. For salvation, joy in life is about a name and about names as well. How odd of God to choose the Jews. When Ewer wrote this, immediately an anonymous reply was quickly published. God's not so odd. His son is one. That is, the God of Jesus Christ, before whose name every knee shall bow, every thing in heaven, in earth, and under the earth. May he be praised forever and ever.